Get ready for a week-long celebration of music, community and fabulous fun with Joy Radiothon 2024. Joy has the largest collection of rainbow podcast content in the world and you can help keep us out loud and proud by donating during Joy Radiothon 2024. Just go to joy.org.au slash radiothon. Mark it in your calendars because Joy Radiothon returns June 1st to 7th. And remember, we all flourish with joy. Taking a look at the issues surrounding the health and well-being of our LGBTIQ communities, this is Well, 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 brought to you every week by Thorn Harbour Health. Here on Well, 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 we delve into the issues impacting and surrounding the health and well-being of our gender, sex and sexually diverse communities. Coming to you from the 200 Hoddle Street Temporary Studio today here on Wurundjeri Woiwurrung Country, I'm your host, Jacinta Hennicom, and I'm joined by the other lovely, Jack Crenjanen. Let's see if we can get the intro right third time round. Yeah, Rock there we roll. go. Jacinta, what's coming up next? Yeah, so just a bit of a content warning for this episode first up. We will be discussing eating disorders and queer and trans identities to mm. do with disordered eating. So, of course, it's the first week of September and it is Body Image and Eating Disorders Awareness Week. So tonight we'll be speaking to a facilitator from Bloom, the LGBTIQA plus peer support group run by Eating Disorders Victoria. So Is Hay will be joining us and we'll be chatting about how body image and eating disorders impact people in our communities. Um, because eating disorders impact over a million Australians each year. It's a huge number. It's massive. And, you know, it's it has one of the highest mortality rates of any mental illness. Mm. And with only one in 10 Australians able to recognise the signs of an eating disorder, awareness is really important, yeah. especially in LGBTQA plus communities. So... You know, this is where eating disorders occur at a greater incidence. So in our communities. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Stick around, you're on Well, Well, Well. You're getting Well, Well, Well with the team from Thorn Harbour Health. Is Hay is a facilitator of the Bloom peer support group run by Eating Disorders Victoria, otherwise known as EDV. Thank you so much for joining us, Is. Thank you for having me. I... I just love radio and queer things and all of it. I'm hyped. <laughs> it's the perfect place to be. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, first of all, I wanted to start with the obvious question, which is what is Bloom and who can attend? Yeah, I love that question because I talk about Bloom all the time. So now I just get to do it more intentionally. Um, so Bloom is a um, eating disorder recovery support group um, for anyone who's experiencing or recovering from or whatever language they want to use in the process of an eating disorder. Um, and anyone who's a part of the LGBTQIA plus community can attend. Um, but importantly, nobody needs to prove that they're queer or prove that they have an eating disorder to attend. So you don't need like a diagnosis. You don't need to like show your gay card which is not a thing but um you don't need to prove um who you are and why you should be there you just need to kind of opt into that space um and yeah it's for anyone regardless of where they're at in recovery and where they're at with their identity and people's identities change across the group as well bloom is described as a safe space to discuss the dynamic changes of eating disorders body image gender identity and sexuality and how this is impacting you at the moment um, why is it important to have an lgbtqa plus specific space to share these discussions 
Yeah, um, it's so many reasons. Um, I mean, for me, when I was going through my recovery, there was no like discussion of how my queerness intersected. And so the fact that this space is so big for so many queer people who are experiencing eating disorders, but so small in terms of like a niche space um, is why it's so important. And, you know, research into the um, intersection is ongoing, but we know that queer people are at a greater risk for um, disordered eating behaviours behaviors and eating disorders. And two thirds of trans young people report like limiting their eating um, and changing those behaviours because of like being a trans person in a transphobic society because of their gender identity, etc. So the intersection is really, really big. And knowing that like queer and trans people who are in eating disorder recovery need that part of their identity to be understood in meaningful recovery, I think is so essential that like a space like this is crucial in being able to provide that. Absolutely. And because it's that really big intersection of experiences, but also I guess there's the intersection of stigma as well, because, you know, being trans or being queer is obviously steeped in a lot of different stigmas and so is eating disorders. So does this come up a lot in the work that you do with the group, like how those stigmas intersect and, um, you know, things about body image relating to fat phobia or misogyny? Um, you know, how does that relate to the complexities of, of gender and sexuality in the group? Yeah, no, those things come up every single group that I have run over the last, like, years. Um, fat phobia is definitely a big one and the acknowledgement that the queer community can be incredibly fat phobic. Um, I think for a lot of trans people, um, when we're navigating, like, finding our own identities, um, the images and the ideals we have of trans people to look up to are typically, like, conventionally attractive with thin body types. Um, and so fat phobia is, like, a big part of that. And so when you're navigating that and also battling an eating disorder, of course, those two intersect and make it really hard for you. Um, and so that comes up all the time. Um, and so I think like recognizing the like really important things about the queer community, but also the limitations of the mainstream queer community, which is largely like white, thin, non-disabled um, and cis. Um, for the most part, and how that can make it really hard for a queer person experiencing an eating disorder to understand both of those things in isolation, but also together. And so navigating that as a person, but then also all the stigma around it is what comes up in every single group that I've ever run. Attendance at Bloom isn't based on diagnosis, but on what difficulties the individual would like support on. I guess, what kind of difficulties and topics are discussed in these sessions? Yeah, um, I'm going to steal something from myself that I say at the start of groups um, when people are like not sure what to say or what they can say. Um, and I say you can bring up anything that's eating disorder related, related to being a queer person, related to both or neither, because it's about having that space that, you know, everybody in the space understands you, even if you're not directly talking about like that specific niche experience, even if you're talking about just like Christmas dinner that's coming up that you have feelings about that isn't directly about those things, knowing that everyone in the space understands is so essential. So we have a lot of people reflecting on um, like healthcare practitioners that are not affirming to their like eating disorder, um, like treatment needs, as well as their experiences as a queer or trans person, um, which comes up a lot 
that and then navigating like fat phobia within that. Um, also families, friends and the roles that people play in our recovery is a really big topic and like extra loaded for queer people as opposed to like non-queer people who are navigating recovery. Um, but really like every single group is different. Um, we have people bring up the most random things. We have people show off their pets. Like it's all about whatever people need in that specific moment in that specific week. And if that's, you know, talking about colouring in for half an hour, rad. If that's talking about like the very niche complexity of like a type of eating disorder or behaviour and being a specific like identity label, that's cool too. Yeah, amazing. And for those who don't know or perhaps don't know much about eating disorders or um, just don't have general awareness around it, what can be considered an eating disorder or disordered eating? Um, Because there's more well-known ones like anorexia and bulimia, but there's, you know, a whole range of different kinds that um, perhaps come up in the group as well. Yeah, definitely. And I would say that out of all of the groups, um, Bloom probably has the most diverse range of eating disorder experiences um, out of all the ones that I run. But yeah, there are a range of different like eating disorders and symptoms that all present differently in every person. But in general, we kind of define an eating disorder as a disturbance in thoughts, attitudes, behaviours around food and eating. For some people, but not all, this extends to a preoccupation with like weight and shape and body and that sort of thing. Um, And one of the simplest ways to start thinking about this if somebody's like oh I don't know if I count as having an eating disorder or if this person does is to ask the question what's my relationship with food like and if there are concerns or question marks or red flags or anything in that answer that could be a sign that there's some like disordered eating or disordered um, like behaviors present and so like you said most people think of like anorexia nervosa or bulimia nervosa eating disorders But in reality, um, the majority of people with an eating disorder actually have what's called binge eating disorder, um, which is um, like about 50% of all eating disorder cases. Um, And a lot of people also have a combination of symptoms from different diagnoses or different conditions or swing between behaviours. There's also an eating disorder called ARFID, which is actually the one I've recovered from, um, which we're seeing a lot more um, and a lot more recognised. Like it's not like a new eating disorder. It's just like we're recognising the behaviours more, which is more around like aversions to foods and feelings rather than like a preoccupation with like weight and body. Um, And the other thing that I think is really important to note and I think really important when thinking about the queer community is to have an eating disorder, you do not need to be in a thin body. You cannot tell if somebody has an eating disorder by looking at them. Um, An eating disorder is a brain-based illness first and foremost and yes, does have like repercussions for a person's physical health but is all about that illness in the brain. So that was like a long-winded answer to say there is so much more than what I say eating disorder. I, I guess, uh, uh, do you find, uh, <laughs> I imagine because you come across so much of it in your work, it's hard to, mm. to maybe gauge as much, but do you feel like eating disorders are common or uh, in, in that kind of way, in what ways does attending a peer support group like Bloom sort of help normalize those experiences mm. you're talking about? Yeah, so um, eating disorders are way more common than people think. I remember when I was like coming to terms with mine as like a young I was like, nobody's ever felt like this before. Like nobody's ever experienced this, but it's actually um, around one in 20 people have an eating disorder. So four to 5% of the population, um, which is over a million people in Australia. When you think about that, that is like so many people, right? And so if all of those 1 million plus people feel alone and like their experiences haven't ever been felt by anyone else before, then of course we're going to be isolated and further like get ill and not get the support we need. But having 
like Bloom, a support group that's like made for eating disorder recovery, but also for eating disorder recovery within an identity um, that isn't also the mainstream or the the norm, normalizes that like everything that they're experiencing is not just theirs. They're not alone in it. And that is like essential in recovery. Like that's one of the biggest things that people get out of the group is knowing that they are not the only person experiencing what they're doing. So they are not wrong. They are not invalid. They are not like this one bad person that's having these things. It's oh, actually like everyone in that group agreed with me and was nodding their head when I talked about this thing that I was so ashamed of. But actually it's something we're all experiencing and it's not my fault. And that can be like a genuine game changer for recovery and community and treatment and all of that. Is How often does the group run? Yeah, so at the moment we run twice a month. So we have one group um, on a Wednesday in like the morning um, in a month and then we have another one on another Wednesday um, during the evening. Um, Recognising that like in an ideal world we'd have like groups all the time because of how many queer um, people um, in recovery there are. But that's where we're at at the moment um, and it's, yeah, it's wild that we're one of the only, I think the only queer eating disorder recovery group I've ever heard of and we run twice a month. So that's where we're at. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, just having something twice a month is incredible to have that kind of space available for people, especially at different times. I feel like the flexibility and time for peer support based kind of groups is fantastic because like shout out to you as a facilitator, you know, having to to do that for the group, um, but also for people who have different care responsibilities or different schedules, it means that it's a lot more accessible. So I think that's fantastic that it runs at two different times each month. Um, I wanted to ask is what skills are discussed in the workshop? Because um, obviously recognizing that peer support looks different in lots of different settings. Um, Is it like therapy or is it about lived experience sharing through peer-to-peer kind of discussions? Yeah. um, So it is kind of what people need on that given day like I'm I'm not a qualified therapist so I'm not like providing you know qualified therapy but I am providing like insights from my own recovery and so is the other facilitator and so are the other members of the group so if somebody says like I'm really struggling with um you know to my urges um to like like interact with different symptoms, then hearing how other people do that is often like therapeutic and how it feels to hear, but also like you're going to get therapeutic responses. Like I bring in a lot of DBT or dialectical behavioral therapy into like what I share, because that was something that was really helpful for me in recovery. Um, But it's very much based around what people are experiencing. And sometimes people come with like, oh, this thing's been happening for me. And it's not always about like, here's a solution. We actually say in the beginning of our guidelines at the group that um, we're not here to like fix problems or give advice. We're here to like share experiences and maybe um, share something that worked for us without suggesting that that's going to work for somebody else. And sometimes it's just hearing someone else say, oh my God, that sucks. And that in itself is therapy without it needing to be like therapy TM, I suppose. It totally checks out. I guess, what's it like being a facilitator for the group? How did you get involved originally? Yeah, so I've been a facilitator for a while now, probably like a year and a half. Um, And I just like saw a job listing and I was like, that's cool. Um, And for me, I'd been recovered from my eating disorder for a few years, which was like a requirement of the position, like being very much in 
like full recovery. Um, and I'd never really talked about my eating disorder before. Um, I was like, oh God, that was like a really traumatic experience of my life. Having an eating disorder, like I had my eating disorder for like a number of years before it was identified and then going through treatment. Um, and I was like, I just don't want to talk about it again. And then it came up like a, like the facilitator for like a queer group. And I was like, well, I am queer. And I did recover from an eating disorder and I didn't get both of those parts of me acknowledged in my recovery. Maybe I'll just like see how it goes. And so obviously it went well and we're here now. Um, but being able to just see like other queer people in recovery and know that they're not going to have as isolating of a time in their identities as I did is like an incredibly healing experience for me. Like I've learned so much about myself and my identities and my own recovery, even though I'm years into it from participants who have only just started their journey or who have just changed their pronouns or name for the first time. And so for me, it is like the best part of my week and month when I get to facilitate groups. Like sometimes I'll be having like a really exhausting Wednesday and then I'll be like, oh, okay, this group, whatever. And then I will leave being in the best mood because there's just this sense of community and sharing. And it's, I just can't get over how good I feel after these groups. So like, what is it like being a facilitator? The best is my answer. That's so awesome. That's such a good answer. <laughs> um, I wanted to ask how many people attend? Like, do you have a typical amount that you expect each session? Yeah, so it, it does depend um, on various things. Um, we only really have a handful coming at the moment, um, but we have room for more than a handful. So sometimes we'll have, you know, a few people, sometimes we'll have a larger group just depending on like that month and who's available at those times. Um, but there's always space for more people. Um, and so that's why I guess I'm really excited to be talking about it um, with other people because there will be space in Bloom for you um, if people want to sign up. Um, and it can be scary not knowing like how many people are going to be there. Um, but we cap it at an amount so that it's not like so intimidating and overwhelming that you won't get a chance to share and then it won't feel intimate. And we do introduce everybody to each other. We make everyone do like a silly little icebreaker question at the start of groups. So that we all start on like an equal awkwardness um, of it. And there's not so many people that you've like forgotten what somebody's icebreaker answer is, if that makes sense. No, totally. Um, is it an ongoing workshop open for participants to attend as often as they like, or is there a, a limited number of sessions? Yeah, so people can attend as many as they like, and they can also attend um, as many of our other groups as they like as well. So we run a bunch of other um, recovery groups um, as well. So some for people in recovery with other health conditions, some that are more kind of symptom related um, and one for people who are identifying as being in bigger bodies. Um, and people don't have to like pick a group, nor do they have to pick sessions. You can sign up to every single one as long as that space suits your needs um, and you can come to all of them. There's some people that do, that get a lot out of every single space that they're in. Um, so essentially come as many times as you want. Um, it's really nice getting all those relationships with people over months and years of working together and seeing their recovery evolve. And are there other ways that LGBTQA plus people can get support for eating disorders? There are, but I'll be honest and say I don't know of formal ways for people to get supports. Um, this is the only group that I've ever heard of that um, speaks to this niche. There are like some resources out there and like a little bit of research, but for me, like the impact of this group is about community and community definitely exists, even if it's not structured and formalized outside of these groups. So I think a big part is where possible, seeing if you can find a community of people who are going through the same thing and have the same recovery goals as you um, in 
a shared kind of identity as well. So there aren't necessarily formal things that I can think of, but there is support. People are just like, don't know that there is and don't know that other people are experiencing what they're experiencing. Do you need a referral or anything to join these sessions? Uh, no, you don't. Um, you just need to have a computer to sign up to the Humanitics like listing for it. Um, sometimes people will be like referred on, like they'll be like told about it by like a practitioner. But if you just Google it and sign up, that is all we need from you. Wonderful. And, you know, I think that you mentioned before about people feeling hesitant about joining on Zoom and not being sure how many people are there. Do you have any advice for someone who may be thinking about attending Bloom, but maybe they feel unsure because they haven't been in a peer support group before or they haven't attended a group online? Is there any kind of tips that you have for them to make them feel a bit more comfy to come along and see what it's like? Yeah, definitely. I think like my first thing that I would say is I wish that this had been a thing when I was recovering or that I'd known about it. I mean, it didn't exist when I was in recovery, but like the fact that it exists is wild and wonderful and you are just as wild and amazing and wonderful enough to join it. There's no like qualifications. Um, if it is scary, you are welcome to like sit in the room with your camera off and just type in the chat. Like I'm not going to be offended that I don't get to see your lovely face, though I do like it when I get to see people's excellent faces. <laughs> um, but I totally understand people feeling hesitant because they're worried about taking up space or don't know if they even count as queer enough or like ill enough or anything, but everything and everyone is enough. And so I would highly recommend like coming along with the acknowledgement that like the group's going to be awkward because being a person's awkward. And I kind of use that in my facilitation. So if you're worried about it being awkward or uncomfortable, it will be, but it will be on purpose and we will have fun with it and we will laugh with it. And we will like have this solidarity that you won't have realized that you haven't had before. So I totally understand the hesitancy, but do that, do that tiny little step of signing up and come along and you can laugh at my terrible like dad jokes throughout the whole thing. And if that's all you get out of it, that's a win for me as well. That's a massive win. <laughs> um, uh, if people uh, want to know more, where can they go for more information on Bloom? Yeah, um, so Bloom, as well as um, all of our other support groups and the other stuff that um, Eating Disorders Victoria offers um, can be found on um, our website, which is www.eatingdisorders.org.au. Um, you can also um, like call us and that number is all on the website. Um, but there's all sorts of resources available um, if you know groups aren't your thing or if online isn't your thing or if you need just information and resources like that is all there and I think it's a really great place to start um, and being able to blend both like lived experience as well as kind of clinical services is something that I think is really special about the work that we do so if somebody is like oh I don't really need that clinical support I've got a really great team and need that peer support that's what we offer but if they're like I don't know where to start I'd love that clinical support like we have that as, as well so we have that kind of wraparound suite of services so definitely like hit us up there's like a silly photo of me on the website if that's a motivation to um have a look at yeah www.eatingdisorders.org.au is hey facilitator of the bloom lgbtq eating disorders group with edv thank you so much for joining us that was really fantastic and a lot of information which i'm sure everyone will be able to use yeah thanks for having me you're getting well, well, well with the team from Thorn Harbour Health. Time to wrap up another episode of Well, 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 isn't it? It sure is. Links to info from tonight's 
show will be on the podcast page joy.org.au forward slash well 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 and that is where you can listen to all of our previous episodes as well so not only tonight's episode but all of the episodes yep and if there's a topic that you'd like us to cover maybe we haven't touched on it before or you want us to go more in depth please get in touch by emailing wellwellwell at joy.org.au because we would love to hear from you. We always love to discover more things to talk about here on the show. Absolutely. Um, And indeed, if you wanted to, uh, I guess, look a little bit more into Bloom, you can find that at eatingdisorders.org.au. All of that will be on the uh, podcast page as well. But that is the show for this week. Just need to thank you so much for joining me in this echoey as hell room. <laughs> Thanks for having me, Jack. Thanks as always for the audio setup to cope with the echoey room. And, yeah, we'll fix it and post the whole situation. Thanks for listening and we'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening to Well, 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 your show for LGBTIQ health and well-being, presented by Joy sponsor Thorn Harbour Health. For more on these topics and much more, check out Thorn Harbour on social media at Thorn Harbour or via the website thornharbour.org. This podcast was produced by Joy Media. You can support Joy's diverse sound and diverse community this June by donating to Joy Radiothon 2024. Go to joy.org.au slash radiothon. And remember, we all flourish with joy. Joy.